This is the coolest show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show you know. Keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show you know. In your ear, yeah, respect the expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just train. Open your third eye. Now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show you know. It's the Hip Hop Caucus. Always excited for these types of conversations, particularly this one. I have with me the founders of Sustainable Brooklyn hey. in the house. I feel like you have to yeah. in the house when you say hey. <laughs> In the house. <laughs> I know that's uh, right. Well, first, first and foremost, how are you? I'm well. Yeah, I'm excited for spring. Thanks. Well, yeah. even, before we even get to that, let's get to who we have so we can kind of get that we have dominique drakeford and and Hi. i want to make sure y'all when she when i first was going to say that i love the name of another organization that she's the founder of. she is the founder of melon ass a website <laughs> instagram that highlights people and brands um and also whitney who's a lawyer and a mother but most important, they are the co-founders of Sustainable Brooklyn in the house. Yeah. And I'm not actually in the studio, y'all. I'm actually on the road doing this conversation. Shout out to our producers, uh, Cross and Destiny and Tamar, for making sure we have the right connection. I was, I was here actually enjoying uh, a show last night with Chris Rock. And so I got a chance to <laughs> see that. Uh, I see. I see you laughing over there. Well, you, you got. You got any take on the Chris Rock situation? <clears throat> Let's just start with that. I, I know we're gonna get to climate. We're gonna get to all the <laughs> issues of the day. We're gonna get all this deep stuff in. I know you. Yeah, I, know I you mean that's that. deep in and of itself, right? <laughs> all right. All right. We'll, we'll start there. What's what, what, what's your what's your initial thoughts on that? And, and get ready, Dominic. I'm coming to you next. Well, my thoughts, first of all, is we all need to divest from celebrity culture. Um, mm. The second thing is that, you know, protect Black women, okay? Um, I think that, you know, this conversation and the discourse about what violence is, is really telling. Um, you know, when we exercise boundaries out of love and uh compassion sometimes that can look like you know watch your mouth and I think that that was a watch your mouth situation um I've never given credit to the white gaze in terms of how respectability politics shows up in my life so I can't really speak to that but you know I think that the slap heard around the world um was um a commentary on you know the evolution of of you know comedy in general you know it's not necessarily we're not going for low-hanging fruit anymore because you know we're living in a dystopian society right now um whereas like it's not really unusual for black people but um when it is when we do um display these types of actions on a public stage you know it invites other people to the table to have these conversations when I really think it's just it should just be a conversation between us, you know. Mm. Um, mm. <laughs> yeah, I agree with with a hundred percent. Like I come from the land of watch your mouth because I'm from Oakland. Let's be very clear. Um, but I think in addition to what Wit said, there has to be real conversations about redefinition. I think we need to to redefine and be very transparent in redefining what comedy looks like today. Um, and be able to nurture that environment because now we're in a very, very different climate than when comedians were at their peak and we were watching Eddie Murphy and Delirium. Like we have to, we have to have a real conversation about what comedy looks like and what it doesn't look like, especially for the culture. I also think there's conversations about mental health in there, especially with regards to black women and black men. Will Smith's actions weren't solely about the comment, the GI Joe comment right. at right. all. There are so, there's so much that needed to be unearthed from his personal life, from their relationship, 
There's a lot of built up tension and trauma and that has to be discussed. And, and, you know, there's nuances with that. So um, I'm here for the watch your mouth, but I'm also here for the black community having enriching conversations about the roots of what happened and why. Yeah. And hopefully it can be a healing moment for us all. You know, I'm going to get to the center of Brooklyn in a second. <laughs> what <laughs> that is, but, but while we're here, actually, I want to piggyback something that you just said, Dominique. I think it's very important. And also, with you kind of referenced this, is that, you know, this wasn't in a vacuum. This was a layer situation. And one of the things there that, that people are really looking to um, in this situation is around the fact that um, Jada was boycotting the Oscars and she was a part of a movement where she was leading the Oscars so white. And then when Chris was hosting then in his capacity, he made a reference to Jada that says, you know, how are you going to boycott something you wasn't invited to? Invited to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I bring that up because a lot of times what we found out for those of us who are in this position, particularly people of color and black people is that, Sometimes white people use people of color to attack other black people mm-hmm. that they, they do that. And so as you are doing your work, have you ever come across a situation when you know <laughs> that you've been attacked by <laughs> black people, but you know, behind the curtain, the it's the eyes. institution of whiteness. Yes. We just had, a, <laughs> we just had that situation. <laughs> All the, time. All the time. But yes, it happens quite it's often. Really, it's really interesting because Dominique and I, we neither one of us have like employers. We haven't had like nine to fives for almost a decade, you know? And so to be in this position where we have some relative autonomy in how we, you know, express our careers, our views, et cetera, and to um, engage with people who are, you know, under that, you know, strong system of, of, uh, I gotta, I gotta get paid, so I'm not gonna really ruffle any feathers. Um, in fact, I can, I know that white supremacy is spoken from the mouths of black people a lot, um, and so we are on the receiving end of that dynamic quite often, especially in the sustainability space because it has been so deeply narrated by whiteness, despite the fact that it's rooted in blackness. Um, yeah, there's a lot of layers to that, but. Yeah, we absolutely well, that's a, well, have. Well, well, that's a good part of the trend. Well, we let, me just also just, let me just give a little shout out there for folks who don't know. The hip-hop pocket is a lot around using comedy um, to help with the climate crisis. Actually, they just, did, they just did a documentary called Ain't Your Mama's Heat Wave. So that's my little plug. I get this moment to plug that. Um, hey, Heat Wave. Yeah, Love it. Yeah, so we, if folks want to know how they use comedian to really bring forth the issues in Norfolk around around housing and many other things. But that's a side note for those who are listening. Just check that out. But for folks who might not know, please tell the audience what is Sustainable Brooklyn, what it is, and what do we need to know about it now? Yes. Uh, well, our tagline, Sustainable Brooklyn, is a community initiative And we work to bridge the gap between uh, the mainstream sustainability movement, which tends to be very whitewashed, very myopic. um, um, And we bridge those gaps between the mainstream movement and targeted communities that are first and most impacted by the colonial climate crisis, which is a term that Dominique coined. Um, And we do this by redefining what sustainability is through the lens of the African diaspora. Um, and we do this through re-education or education, non-traditional education activations, volunteer days, symposia, workshops, keynotes. Um, and we're developing a summer school uh, for you know, emerging activists this summer uh, with a, a youth group called Start Empowerment. Um, so we're always just like pushing you know, the, the boundaries of what uh, traditional sustainability looks like, feels like, um, how it's communicated, how it's understood and digested, because we know that this is a movement that is an all hands on deck situation. But the way that it's been framed within really the last 30 or so years has been, um, has contributed to the erasure and the omission of our cultures, our contributions, and the fact that we are the originators of sustainability based on this uh, 
based on survival, on the need to survive in a, in a white supremacist, capitalist, imperialistic state. And so, um, yeah, that's that's just our tagline. That's a little bit about what we do. Um, and we can get into the story of how we met and all that stuff later. But that's Sustainable Brooklyn. Dominique, can you tell the audience about the unique ways that you build relationships and organize within four Black and Indigenous and people of color? Yeah, I mean, um, in alignment with what Witt said, we literally understand community as a currency, right? And in understanding that, understanding that that currency is enriched with so much wealth and knowledge um, anecdotal information about sustainability from an innovation point of view, a technological point of view, from a creative point of view, we tap into our community to build um, bridges in order to share resources, in order to share information, in order to develop curriculums, in order to uh, redefine narratives, in order to truly share um, and build and elevate and create ecosystems that are, you know, rooted in care and rooted in how we see sustainability. Um, we do a, we do this a number of different ways, whether it is um, literally meeting in our community, whether it is uh, uh, down the street at the local garden, whether we're producing elemental symposiums, whether we're getting folks together in a town hall to really understand and listen to what our community is saying, whether we're going into corporate spaces and informing folks how we created the table. We, we're not having a seat at the table. Um, there's an amazing clip of how we talk about how we created the table for sustainability. But ultimately, I think from a, from a pulled back macro lens, um, what we're doing is telling our community to reclaim sustainability and helping folks by guiding them with the resources and knowledge um, that we have available while also pulling in aspects of ancestry, pulling in experts from all these different um, um, professional and creative and uh, grassroots organizations, pulling all of these different um, perspectives in to really create this roadmap to what sustainability has to look like specifically for the Black community and Nexus people of color. Actually, before we move forward, you know, we have a lot of folks who listen to The Coolest Show because it's The Coolest Show and <laughs> they come from our community. So, so Dominique, what is sustainability? <laughs> ah, the most loaded question of all time. I mean, traditionally, um, and, and, you know, I, I went through the portals of traditional education with a BA in environmental management and a master's in sustainable entrepreneurship and fashion. So in the confines of institutionalized education systems, sustainability is about, you know, meeting the needs of today without compromising future generations. Like that was sort of the overarching uh, definition. Um, and going through traditional education systems is when I learned that a lot of that BS. the definition is bullshit <laughs> um, or BS. Excuse me. I don't even know if I could cuss on here. Uh, but a few years ago, I redefined a, a new base definition for sustainability that is defining it as um, an inherently black and brown indigenous regenerative mechanism for living and engaging with nature um, that is grounded in ancestral relationship with the earth and has evolved into resisting colonial structures so that we can find well-being, joy, and ultimately healing. But I think with that said, we have to understand that, you know, people ask us all the time um, about sustainability, you know, as a career or, you know, how do you, what's, what's, how do you separate your career life with your professional life and all of that? And I think in defining sustainability, we have to understand that the embodiment of sustainability touches on every industry. It touches on every aspect of who we are. It touches on any type of way we need to heal or have joy. It touches, it touches on 
everything. It's not this very linear um, ideology. Sustainability is about how we sustain and regenerate ourselves um, in the most holistic way possible. So, I mean, it's not just about the environment, right? The well, environment is a the small token. And we all, the, we are the, like black people, we are nature. Let's be clear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's be very clear. But it's about the food we're eating. It's about our hair. It's about our skin. It's about how we show up in places. It's about our food, our fashion. It's about um, our culture. It's about policy, politics. It's about economics. It literally touches on everything. Um, and, and we have to take up space knowing that sustainability is, it's, it's, it's everything. It's, it's all and, the things. <laughs> and I, it really is like an antidote to structural systemic violence that we have, you know, endured for generations. Um, it is, it is absolutely, you know, building ecosystems of care. It's a philosophy that is rooted in radical care. I don't even think it's radical to care, but yeah. it is rooted in care practices that I've, you know, I didn't know about sustainability when my grandma was, you know, preserving the plastic bags and the foil and, you know, reusing the bags for hot oil treatments and, you know, putting everything in the country crop containers and yeah. you know, storing her sewing materials in the butter cookie tins. Like, I didn't know that that's what would later become what white people are trying to tell us sustainability is. Um, and so I just knew that as, you know, pra these are just practices of care, you know, that my grandmother, great grand, she learned from her mother and, you know, her parents and, you know, so on and so down the line, because these are the practices that have sustained us as community, as individuals. Um, and these are the practices that will continue to sustain us. Uh, we just need more agency and more resources to make this more of a scalable impact um, right. for our communities. And let's be clear, the practices that sustain us create the rubric for how it sustains the planet. Right. And I think we have to be very transparent about that. Our care practices, they take care of us, but they are the blueprint for how everybody, how that needs to be implemented systemically in order to heal the planetary fuckery that's happening right now. Yes. Yes. We, we are the root. So this sounds very much in alignment with environmental liberation. Am I yes. correct in that? Yes, absolutely. Sustainability requires environmental liberation, but it requires also a system of uh, a series of abolitions, you know, to create conditions for liberation, not just in the environment, but in all aspects of our existence. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and when we say liberation and justice, as that is the heartbeat of sustainability today, we have to remember that the blackness component of it is also about joy, right? It's yeah. about celebration. It's about, um, it's about pillars of community abundance. Like that is also part of how we sustain ourselves, which is often not talked about in sustainability discourse. But that is a huge part of resistance for us and sustainability. So for those listening, we you tell we hop right into it. We we are not going to stop the car. <laughs> the car is moving. We're going to keep it moving. A uh, hundred miles an hour here. I, I do want to make sure that you know you kind of hear the backgrounds of both Whitney and Dominique, and you know because it's very important around fashion and one aspect because. I am very clear of the colonizing aspects of fashion and how fashion can use to take away one's identity. Um, literally how you can, it, it, is, it is utilized almost where you're stripping away of your, your faith, your spirit, your history. All of that is taken away by wearing somebody else's clothes. You know, the, one of the, the great things is that, you know, as, as, Human beings, we should probably be naked and not as and not as sane. But because we wear garments and clothing uh, in that aspect, then those garments and clothing have been used throughout history to show where we're from. You know, you know where we're going. Our pride. Our, you know, the generals, the, the 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 matriarchs, the patriarchs in our community. But that's taken away. 
very much so, as you both know. So I want to get to that as a link. And I know that because I remember my days when I was one of my first early days of working in hip hop politics, my, my, my office where they stuck me in was in the fat farm office. I was, up, I was, they, I was in a little room. I think a closet, to be honest, they were coming to get the brooms and stuff. And wow. I was in that, I was in that room <laughs> when we first started out. And that was the beginning parts to lead to hip hop caucus many years later. But so I want to start with this with you, Whitney, because Whitney, among your accomplishments, um, you specialize in fashion law during your legal studies. Um, so can you kind of introduce yourself and tell the audience how you came to understand the labor fair trade and the whitewashing of sustainability? Sure. Yes. Thank you, Reverend. Um, so let me start with where I'm from and where my people are from. So okay. I am from the west side of Dayton, Ohio. Uh, both sides of my family are from there. Um, I lived there for the first 13 years of my life. I'm a descendant of uh, my great-grandfathers on both sides were sharecroppers. They moved to um, Ohio from Tennessee and Georgia, respectively, to work in the automotive industry. So GM was a huge, you know, driver of commerce back then. Um, and within the 13 years I was there from like 86 to, you know, the late 90s, I saw the complete deinvestment and, um, you know, just denigration of my community from the closing of recreational facilities. You know, we would go skating, we would go to the bowling rinks, you know, all of that was closed um, to the uh, grocery stores being closed and gas stations. And then finally the hospital that was in town. So I saw all of these impacts of like structural inequity happening. I didn't have the vocabulary to understand what was happening in my community. Um, but when my mom decided to leave Ohio, she's an artist, so this is also why a lot of my work is devoted to artists. Um, I decided on my own to apply to a boarding school. Um, this was not normal in my community. I got a full tuition scholarship, ended up going to Newport, Rhode Island to, you know, have a better education. And this was the first time that I saw how white people live. <laughs> I, I never really had to interact with them when I was in the West side of Dayton, Ohio. Um, and so when I get to boarding school, I'm, I'm becoming more aware of like these conversations around fair trade, these conversations about, you know, uh, ocean, you know, preservation and ecological preservation. But I never felt like I was um, welcomed in those spaces. I never felt like I, I mm. would, I had a place to even contribute to that discourse, even though I was interested in it. Of course, like, I mean, my mom raised me in the Buddhist faith. I've always been aware of the oneness of, you know, environment and self um, and how we're all connected. But when I got to, and so when I got to GW and I got to college, you know, I'm leading the NAACP, I'm doing all this activism. Um, and really just trying to find my way in in all of this. Um, again, fair trade started popping up. You know, they had a really strong group on campus, but I didn't feel like I connected with with um, with the people because they were mostly white people um, and they weren't very welcoming. So um, I graduated into a recession. Uh, a large, also a large part of my sustainability journey is based on my own sustainability. And so my ability to sustain mm. myself was the impetus for a lot of the decisions that I made. So I decided to uh, work as a paralegal, not decided, that was the only job that was really available for me at that time um, in 2008. And so I'm, I'm, aware now of how the legal system works a little bit um but i was drastically underpaid so i was like let me just go to law school and so i can make as much as these associates because i'm like running circles around them in terms of my intelligence and everything so i was like let me just do that um but i wanted to actually go to design school um and so it really came down to a coin toss my mother was like, you'll have more stamina for law school now than you will later in life. You can do design anytime. Um, I got to law school and hated it. Mm. I was like, why did I do this? Like, this is, you know, 
um, while I was really interested in understanding our legal code because of my background in activism and just based on how I am, um, I still, the environment was, it was pretty violent. Um, and so I confided in a property professor my first year and she said, have you heard of fashion law? And I was like, girl, what? Like, you just about to change my life. I had no idea about this area of law. This was like starting to really become part of the legal conversation at the time, fashion law. This is around 2010. Um, so she delays my final. I go to fashion law symposium at Fordham, which was the first time they'd ever done it. Um, I'm like, all right, this is this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm introduced to labor issues then in the fashion industry, but really from the perspective of, you know, garment workers overseas, um, which is fine, right? But we're not really connecting the, the dots between what's happening globally and what's happening domestically and how we are affecting this global um, inequity that's happening. And also we're choosing to not address the inequity that, that the fashion industry is also contributing to here in the U.S., especially in Dayton. <laughs> um, and so I uh, started doing like fashion law week with students at Howard University School of Law. So it was me and a bunch of other black girls. And we just, you know, ran that symposium for many years um, with really no funding. And this was the first time that I started bringing these issues from the uh, ivory tower of academia to the people who needed it. Like mm -hmm. majority of fashion designers that I know of, black women. <laughs> you know, like the majority of garment workers I know, black or brown people. Like they, you know, these are the people who really need to know what the legal issues are so that we can get, you know, have more agency in this conversation or in these actions that we, that need to be taken for solutions to, to um, really impact all of us. And so um, from Fashion Law Week, I, you know, did everything from lobbying for uh, fashion designers to get more creative, I mean, copyright-like protection, because as we know, fashion designs have a hard time having copyright protection, uh, and we'll get into that, but that's a main driver of appropriation. Um, and so I'm, I'm lobbying for that. I'm also, you know, working in-house, doing all these things. I get a, um, a federal clerkship with a judge out in Vegas, and I started teaching my own sustainability, sustainable fashion workshops, but still from the lens of kind of what Dominique was touching on, like this traditional idea of what sustainability is, which is really like doom and gloom, place blame on Western culture. Let's not even talk about race. And, you know, we just need to stop over consuming. Right. And so, I realized as I'm teaching these workshops, like there's a lot missing here, especially from my background in Africana studies. I had lived in Ghana when I was in college. Like I'd seen firsthand how, you know, we export material, uh, textiles to landfills in Ghana, in this predominantly black country. Um, and so when I moved back to Brooklyn, I'm pregnant, thinking about what I want my legacy to be. I meet Dominique. And immediately we are like finishing each other's sentences. Like it was like, we're here with it. And I, for largely I, a long time, I felt like I was on an island because no one was, was really connecting the dots and getting to the root of unsustainability, which to me is anti-Blackness and misogynoir. So uh, if we are talking about the root of anti-Blackness, we, I mean, uh, the root of unsustainability, we really have to, uh, address these nuances and address this um, idea of sustainability from our cultural perspective. And so Dominique and I just, you know, linked up, we had our first meeting and we started creating the framework for sustainable Brooklyn. We had a town hall um, where it was like packed. And that was really the first time that we created the framework for sustainable Brooklyn, where we decided to focus on fashion, well-being, and agriculture. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's how, you know, we got started, and, you know, from there, you know, it's just, it's taken off, so. Oh, man. I mean, that's an yeah. amazing, 
story. And I, and I had to get some more into that because you said some things there that there's so that, many things in there. So many, so many things that you know. So many gems. So many, many, many gems. <laughs> but but so before we get to them gems, I just want to make sure, Dominic, you have. I want to make sure you introduce yourself as well in your own words, and just kind of tell us about particularly about regenerative agriculture and how mm. it fits into the vision of sustainable Brooklyn and sustainability, uh, you know, in, in, in the culture. Yeah. Okay. So about me and then uh, regenerative agriculture, I'll try to draw nice, nice parallels. I will try. Um, so I'm Dominique. I am, I hail from Oakland. And I think that's always a great place the to bay. start. Come, come, come from hey. the bay. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I, uh, I grew up uh, dark skin, skinny, ashy girl, loving nature, loving the outdoors, vibrant, Leo. I was ashy. My kneecaps were ashy. But um, of course, you know, I would make sure it's a shea butter. But, you know, the skin, you know, I don't know. Ashley, 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 dark skin, skinny was my, was my motto. See, for folks who listen, they know that there was a cultural significant moment. You know what I mean? Because Whitney showed for Ohio, she's like, listen, in Ohio, we walk with lotion. You know what I mean? We, we, we got it in our back. I'm in my bag right in, now. In the bay, like, in the bay they like, yo, we got to go get it. She's like, this is underground. No, but let me be, let's be clear. Let me, let me. <laughs> let me let me be clear. Like my people in Oakland were hydrated. I was probably a little more on the ashy side because I was always in nature. Like I was I was climbing trees. I was that girl. Like I was I was always refugiing through the wilderness <laughs> in my FUBU. Let's be very clear. Um, but I but I think like just growing up in Oakland sets the tone and the temperature for who I am, right? We all know, or hopefully we should know, that the Black Panthers were founded in Oakland in 66. And I think as I was immersed in white uh, environmental spaces and white understandings of the environment, I'm gonna pay homage to the Black Panthers because I saw the political and cultural aspects of sustainability through how they fashion themselves, right? I, I saw that their clothes and the message they sent was very political and it became a cultural relic of, you know, community programming and survival, um, circular survival systems and, and you know, pillars of, of liberation and revolution. And so in understanding that, in the, in the history books, I'm learning about sustainability being, you know, that you see a Venn diagram where it's uh, environmental, social and economic. And I'm like, hold up, hold up, hold up. I feel like black sustainability is more political and cultural. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I began to really, really create a new foundational framework for myself for how I how I govern myself and exist in a space while talking about sustainability and environmentalism, which is traditionally very harmful um, because of who has been having control of the narrative and the systems, right? So my background has been in, you know, has been fostering youth development in Oakland and the Bay Area. Um, I did a lot of nature appreciation curriculums. I took black and brown kids throughout the Bay Area backpacking, and on those excursions to reprogram their understanding and relationship with the earth and the environment um, from a very political and cultural point of view. I did grant reviewing for black and brown sustainability um, and environmental justice centered uh, not for profits. Um, I did a lot of different sort of non-traditional uh, things with regards to sustainability growing up. And not necessarily putting all the pieces together until I moved to New York, right? Mm. I think um, I moved to New York, eclectic as hell, right? A lot of thrift shopping, a lot of, you know, sustainability uh, motifs that are, again, cultural and political, right? Um, I came very vibrant and colorful to a movement and a space that was very neutral and and. Um, lackluster with regards to representation. And the only times I 
saw myself represented in the sustainable fashion space, moving from Oakland is when folks are talking about labor, <laughs> right? And so I began to sort of uh, re-engineer how I talk about sustainability, because I'm going to be clear. I mean, I used to talk about it in the very traditional um, with a very traditional tongue, because I thought that's how you were supposed to, despite the fact that everything, my whole existence showed otherwise, exactly. it showed the political, it showed the cultural, it showed that I've been working with black and brown youth and they've been sustainable as hell out of necessity, um, and out of creativity. And so, um, I had to recondition myself, um, once I moved to New York and saw that the movement was all white attending all white sustainability events and um, having all white speakers and all white audience members. And again, from time to time, you'll see a slideshow presentation with a black person or a brown person making the clothes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's when I developed or not developed, but that's when I spearheaded melanin ass and the ass stands for unsustainable style because I needed to show the colonial and systemic fuckery of what was happening in a sustainability space while also showing the joy and love that we have historically for sustainability. Um, and so I created Melanin Ass to articulate the ways in which we've been sustainable, uh, again, as an ode to Black sustainability as a form of reclamation, um, while also doing, you know, a lot of creative direction and PR consulting and styling on the side. Um, but it was important for me to position myself as a bridge for folks who didn't even use the word sustainable, but were clearly sustainable. A lot of black folks and a lot of people of color um, around the globe, not just here in the States, don't even use the language of sustainability, despite the fact that they have inherently um, embodied that uh, uh, philosophy and ideology. Um, And so from that, I started to... Re again, I'm redefining sustainability, but also I had to redefine uh, this idea of circularity because it's been very much ingrained in, from a production point of view, right? You hear experts in sustainability talk about circular development in terms of, you know, making sure clothes or garments are created while designing out waste, right? That's, you know, having a circular system to mitigate waste so that we, you know, don't have landfills and so that, you know, uh, fabrics and fibers are made with more intentionality, with, you know, with eco-friendliness at the center. But again, if I'm tapping into the Black Panthers, if I'm tapping into the cultural and political um, understanding of sustainability, it's also very much about, um, it's about Blackness, and how we are able to sustain ourselves and our community. So circularity, if I'm, if I'm starting to think about regenerative, regenerative agriculture, right? I'm like, okay, circularity has been defined again by this white medium that's completely archaic. When I learn about George Washington Carver, who is the, the father of sustainable agriculture, right? Um, and when I learn about Fannie Lou Hamer and when I learn about how my people were sustainable before colonization, before colonization at scale, sustainable at at scale, scale. at (laughs) scale. And I think that has to be, you know, a lot of shit. It don't start at slavery. It started before (laughs) slavery. So when I start to pull all of these pieces together with a Sankofa mindset, past, present and future, I'm like, all right, all right. Circularity is about to look. A hell of a lot different. If I'm looking at if I'm looking at um, regenerative agriculture to regenerate um, and to to mitigate waste, mainstream systems aren't doing that because they still consider black people waste. So how are we creating systems that don't that are non disposable when we're still disposable? That don't make no goddamn sense when our intellectual property and our bodies are still disposable and that disposability is the framework for all other 
communities and cultures to be disposable. Mind you, mind you, you know, we are the agriculture class, right? Like if it mm. wasn't for us, there would be no cotton indigo. It would be no fashion industry point blank, mm. period. Period. Without our bodies. Our intellect was built into the economic framework of unsustainability because we were experts in sustainability. So so we have to utilize this knowledge from our ancestors who have created the rubric, right? Right. And then have recreated circular systems of care and access to knowledge and creative collaboration and support out of necessity. And so this is exactly what Sustainable Brooklyn has been doing, creating ecosystems where we pay homage to our ancestors and our contemporaries who are joining it today so that we can continue a future where sustainability is the nucleus and, and, and the heartbeat of, of who we are and what we're doing from a cultural and political standpoint. Mm. Yeah. So, so let, me, let me hop in there. I, I, if you're listening now, we done... I told you in the car. I told you going fast. Uh, <laughs> Dominique and Whitney done took off the brakes. We ain't got no more brakes. We, we just, they, got, they, got, they got poor Rev in the we car. Go here. We go find the whip, right? Hey! We rolling now, y'all. We, we, have a, we, just, we, we get it. I want to say this, too, about this debate. Cause we, and, 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 and all over. I mean, folks in Ohio, too. And, oh, but this is for the Bay. Many of you know that as a as a, as a as a liberation fighter, as a, as a, as a, as an activist, um, I am always so amazed at how much my sisters and brothers, when I go to the Bay, try to pour back into me. They, they know I've been either beaten up by the police, or I'm out there fighting or been arrested now more than 30 sometimes, whatever movement we fight. And they know when I go there to the Bay, I just want to say this to Dominique and to Whitney, the Bay is one place that they, they pour into me. I, 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 I'm always amazed at how much they, because of their tradition, I think, from the past. And I was there fighting for the Oscar Grant and that we were mm. dealing with that back in the day. Um, I never forget people like Davey D. There's so many people who were there um, who would come and just give me food and, and this, you know, let me just, just kind of relax over there. And so I just always appreciate going to the Bay. And I love how they don't, they, they fight. They will, they, they won't call Chevron. They'd be like, that's Chevron. And, 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 and the Bay would get it. So I just wanted to say that. Wait, that can I answer. add something? You just made yeah. me think. I uh, think definitely. it's important. Like, you, you mentioned police brutality and Oscar Grant. And something that Whit and I are also passionate about articulating with regards to sustainability. Um, Whit mentioned anti-Blackness is the root of unsustainability. Um, and it's important for us to understand and articulate and, and deep dive into the fact that the prison industrial complex, of course, stemming from um, um, cotton plantations, is so much of why we have unsustainable systems and the environmental climate crisis that we're in. And this is what we're talking about Um, folks aren't really ready to have those very transparent conversations about sustainability from this vantage point. We have to talk about um, systems theory, which is very much wrapped around the industrial um, prison complex um, and the blueprint for that, which has scaled the globe as, as, um, as the manufacturing industry has exploded. And so that was just one example. Like all of that, we talk, it, it, it has to be immersed into our rubric for sustainability and, and community care and, and localized and also global development. I have to ask this question on that note. So with Sustainable Brooklyn, what are your thoughts as you, you, you dealt, you, you talked about how you both had this epiphany. You both began to, you know, you know, yourself evolved from academic to other types of what people would call sustainability to what it really is and connect the dots for our people and break down silos. You mentioned, obviously, from the prison industrial complex and other types of systems that oppress our people. What about the nonprofit industrial complex? What about the liberal 
industrial complex or the progressive white industrial complex. <laughs> How has that impacted your work? Y'all fanning yourselves. Lord <laughs> have mercy. I, I told you, brakes are gone. The doors are now gone. Yo, we, just, we, we are. <laughs> Dominic took a drink of water. Let's get it. I don't know who wants to start it. No, listen, we just lost when he out the frame. The frame. <laughs> my, 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 my. So I don't know who want to leave with that one. Uh, Dominic got close to the camera. Dominic, you got closer, so but your face got your face got very aligned. So go ahead, kick it off. Well, let me just let me just put this out here. A lot of my work um, in youth development started at a nonprofit. Shout out to the East Oakland Youth Development Center and Regina Jackson, who literally molded me into the woman I am today. So I'm I'm always going to pay homage to the nonprofit, the specific, very specific nonprofit that helped raise me and helped um, provide a platform where I can discuss unapologetically uh, sustainability to Black youth um, who are continuously um, subjugated in, in the streets of Oakland. Now, for sustainable Brook, and, and I, there probably is a huge difference between the way that nonprofits work in Cali versus New York, perhaps. But for sustainable Brooklyn, and this is something we've talked about as we've tried to figure out what type of um, legal structure sustainable Brooklyn should be presented as. And I know Wick can speak to this a little bit more uh, beautifully and poetically. But um, I think there has to be a real conversation when we're talking about the nonprofit industrial complex. There has to be a real conversation about um, corporate, the corporate uh, veil or the corporate grubby ass fingers that have to be embedded in your ecosystem in order for it to function. Mm. Right. And I think especially if we talk about anti-blackness and colonization and we really are working with folks who are on the ground in communities, toes in the soil, really, really working to, um, to, to, to build sustainability in communities. That is very, it's, it's on opposite sides of the spectrum when we're talking about corporations and for corporations to have, um, to provide us with funding or provide an, uh, a not-for-profit with funding, that means that they have a say in how you show up, what you look like, what you can say, who you can serve, and, 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 and how your narrative is packaged to the public, but also how the interworkings of your operations function. And we did not want that because authenticity is the heartbeat of what we're trying to do. And I'll, I'll, I'll set the tone and, and let Wit take over from there. That was beautiful. I mean, the nonprofit industrial complex is nothing more than just a money laundering of, you know, institutions for wealthy people. Um, but I'm always thinking about what it means to create value, um, especially when we talk about sustainability. Like when we are, because we are sustainable Brooklyn, we have to embody sustainability first and foremost. So, um, you know, when I think about how to create value, it's usually from BS, right? Like we have created beautiful, joyful lives, Dominique and I, from, you know, whatever BS we've endured individually. Although it looks like I'm frozen. Am I frozen? No, no, okay. you're good. Okay. All right. So, um, um, so with that said, the nonprofit industrial complex um, and neoliberalism, um, while they are inherently unsustainable um, because they are inherently anti-Black, um, there are ways that we can utilize the nonprofit industrial complex to create more value for us, right? Um, I'm always thinking about this like origin of like scholarship. Um, I didn't know that until recently that um, Thomas Jefferson created this concept of scholarship 
Um, and it really was meant to, and he, he's quoted as saying, it's like picking a few exceptions from the rubbish, you know? So it's mm. like, all right, we're trash, right? <laughs> it's all goes back to regeneration and sustainability. Like, it's, okay, so you talking about trash, right? Um, and you're saying that you're picking a few exceptions to, you know, be, create really a middle class, um, a buffer between, you know, labor classes, poor, poor working class people and the wealthy. Um, yes, inherently this idea of scholarship is classes, anti-black, everything. It is really negative. But I am a recipient of scholarship and I have created a lot of value from that institution. So I think that the same thing that we do with nonprofits and how we function, you know, in these systems, even in capitalism, you know, we have to focus on 100% creating value from systems and conditions uh, that otherwise do not support us. Right. And so I think that's the root of our praxis. It, it really is a praxis of sustainability, um, emerging of theories and actions to create the, the systems and the world that we really know we deserve and we know our children and their children deserve. Mm. Yeah. Can I, I want to piggyback on that also. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. I also very much in alignment with what Witt said. Um, as black people who, you know, our DNA is riddled with trauma. Um, I always think that it's important for us to understand that there are different strategies to get to where you want to be in order to elevate the community and the culture. So as much as I'm not here for nonprofits and as much as I've seen examples of it working, um, I, I'm always, and we're, we both are, we're always mindful of the fact that there's different strategies um, to get to a place where we can regenerate culturally um, and communicatively. Um, so yeah, Man. it's not just one way to, to get things done um, in a capitalist society uh, because we have to participate. It's about creating the best, um, virtuous and value-oriented strategy uh, that that creates the most meaning for for you. So yeah, important to note. So these conversations like this go so fast; it is crazy. Are we uh, at time already? Oh, are we done? Yeah, <laughs> this is this Wait. is crazy. <laughs> this is how crazy this is, but. I want to. I want to do this though. I want to make sure. So, I, I obviously want you to tell people, obviously, you know, how they can find Simple Brooklyn and all that stuff. That's that. That's that question. But this question is for both of you. You know, in this this time that we went, if there's something, you know, the great thing about the cool show that we got a really we got a really large audience, and so I really want you to talk to them. If there's something you think, I know, you know. I know Whitney, you mentioned like copyright law. You may not want to say that. We can come back. We can, we can attach. We can add things to you where they can find it later. But I want you to speak to them. And I, and I actually, I'm going to add a caveat. I want you to speak specifically to your, if you can speak to your younger self. If hmm. you now uh, can kind of go back and there's a younger version of you, just like you, who's listening to this, I also want you to speak to her. Wit actually so, does that in practice. Yeah. <laughs> she writes to her younger self. <laughs> yeah. So I want you to as to take this. I want to give you this floor. I want to, want to give it to you and give it to both. So Whitney, since you do that in practice, I'll let you start. And then, you know, Dominique, I want you to go next. And this is this is your time. Whatever you want to say, it's, it's your opportunity. Hmm. Okay. Whitney. Whitney, baby girl. First of all, Never stop celebrating yourself. Um, you got to this far, right? Um, there will be times where hope will be something that you will grapple with because you will be in, you will encounter despair. You know, you will you will go through it, um, and there's a lot to be weary of. Um, but 
hope has nothing to do with optimism. This is something I've learned recently from Dr. Cornell West. (laughs) Um, You know, hope has nothing to do with optimism. It's about understanding the gravity of the situation that you are facing and having the courage to persevere and create value from this situation based on truth. And truth is something that is your most valuable asset. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Your truth and the truth that is based on radical love, care, and courage and compassion will get you farther in life than any dollar amount ever could. Um, Never stop uh, reaching back, Sankofa, Sankofa, Sankofa all day, you know? Um, And create the conditions for future generations because this is a period of planting and this is not the time to sow. You know, this is the time to plant, make sure those roots uh, from whatever you are planting are strong, are plentiful and are creating connections with the other things that you have planted beneath the soil, sometimes in the darkness, always actually in the darkness. That's that shadow work, you know, so that you can uh, sprout beautiful, bountiful futures for not just yourself, but for, you know, to create a harvest for your children and their children and so on and so forth. So that's what I would tell my younger self if I encountered her today. Dominique. Um, okay. Dom, 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 baby girl. Um, we know you were born a Leo for a reason. Listen. Right? (laughs) You have this fire. You have this fire and desire. Let me, let me stop. You have this, this, (laughs) you have this, this succulent orbital energy that at this time you are using to, you know, to understand yourself and, and understand your internal ecosystem. But remember the power of your Leo energy, the power of why you uh, exist today and, and you choosing your parents and you choosing to be to, to, to have agency and growing up in Oakland. All of that power is actually mm-hmm. not for you. You're a vessel. You're a bridge. And the sooner you realize this, because, you know, you may you may find this out way, way, way later on down the road. But you can harness that power and be a vessel for collective community much sooner than you think. You're not too young to start to use that power, that strength, um, that 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 lioness energy to 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 change paradigms in the most unique and creative and funky and fly way, you have that abundance built inside of you. You have that resilience built inside of you. You've, you've gone, you may go through so many challenging moments where you have to question who you are, question why you're in this family, question uh, what route you take um, in terms of your career path. You're going to question all of these things. But baby girl, baby Mm. girl, you are a whole universe. You are nature. You literally are the soil for seeds to be planted. And you are going to touch so many lives you're going to touch so many lives and create an entire apparatus just based on who you are organically and authentically in the most minuscule ways because you are soil. (laughs) You are soil and ecosystems don't thrive. Natural Mm. atmospheric ecosystems don't thrive without soil. And you're going to find the air you're going to find the sun. You're going to find the galaxy. You're going to find all of these things to, to help build out an c- atmospheric community mm. that's going to evoke change for Black folks. Unlock that potential, baby girl. It's not too soon. Done. Amazing. 
Amazing. Where can people find the support in Brooklyn? Mm. Instagram at Sustainable BK is the, the place where we're at the most. Um, sustainablebk.co is our website. It's in the middle of being updated. We also are part of a collective um, for the Greenish book. So you can find us at the underscore Greenish underscore book on Instagram as well. Um, and tap in, connect with us, email us, um, DM us. We're, we're here to continue to be a bridge for, for culture and community. Amazing. Our guests today are Whitney McGuire and Dominic Drakeford, founders of Sustainable Brooklyn. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the beat. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show you know.